Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording, for the rest of you. Do you want to play a game? Uh, hello everybody and welcome to The Movie Trap. Uh, my name is Zach Powers. I'm Chris Boroff. And I'm Russell Carlson. Uh, if you are new to the show, which is extremely plausible because it's a relatively new show, um, this is a show in which we discuss movies. We're three white men discussing movies, so a very novel pod- podcast concept. Um, nothing we have a like slight, it. Nothing like it on the air. <laughs> we have a slight twist. Um, a, we're not necessarily just discussing terrible movies, and B... Um, we also uh, choose a theme uh, for each round of three episodes. Uh, each of us picks a movie in that theme, and at the end, we vote on who had the best choice, and that person gets to choose the following theme. Um, normally, we have uh, a bed of 10 points apiece, but as a little twist, we also have a reserve of three points that we can't use, but we can award to any of the other hosts or not award for any reason. Just to spice things up, and so uh, on non-voting episodes like this one, there might be a little bit of a little bit of magic still happening in terms of the game. <laughs> yes, um, you have to change it up every time. It's like every reality show out there. Every exactly, every new yeah. season, there's some new twist. You know. Yeah. Eventually, we'll do like battles of the generations or heroes versus villains when we bring right. back guest stars. That they uh, have it. Yeah, we're either yeah. terrible or great. And then we'll go to the every other reality TV show where it just becomes celebrity movie trap. Yeah. Eventually or, we'll get or to we like, can just start. We'll just start yelling about our Twitter on air. Yeah. That always, <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> this episode is kind of unique. It is the first episode in this uh, new run of this revival of the show in which we are discuss maybe the first episode ever in which we're discussing a movie that none of the hosts had ever seen Prior to watching it for this episode, the movie is appropriately entitled Blind Spotting in the category of shitty cops. That's our theme for this go around, tying into uh, if you're listening into the future. Uh, there are some protests going on and a pandemic. It's just you might remember this happening. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's a, there's a mixture of uh, strong public gathering as well as social distancing with masks on at the same time. It's a confusing time, but a lot of things are occurring both good and bad and otherwise. Yes. Yep. And let's also not forget an election year. That means nothing, right? That doesn't matter anyway. Oh, um, man. That's happening, too. Yeah, I know it. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, buckle up, dude. We're only in June of this year. It's going to be a rough one. Um, but uh, so, Zach, why don't you go ahead and s- summarize blind spotting for us as best as you can? Uh, blind spotting is a 2018 movie. Uh, that uh, features uh, a main character named Colin, who uh, had about a year prior to the beginning of the movie been released from a short prison term after uh, an assault, a felony assault charge. He's on the last few days of his probation before, uh, you know, obviously he gets to move home and doesn't have to have a curfew anymore and these sort of restrictive measures. Um His best friend is a fellow named Miles, who is a white guy. They both live in Oakland, California. Uh, And during the last few days, a number of things happen, including Colin witnesses a policeman shoot a fleeing suspect. Uh, He kind of negotiates his relationship with the woman who was his girlfriend prior to him being sent off to to jail, a woman named Val, and uh, deals with Basically, police brutality, racism, gentrification, all in Oakland, California. Yeah, it's also a uh, it's it's very current. Um, it was surprising you hadn't seen it and it uh, still aligned up with what we we're doing. This is the first like really challenge sort of, uh, yeah, you know, not playing it safe with the game. You, you went out on the limb. You decided we're going to do a new one we haven't seen before. And I think it was a good time this time. It was interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I rather enjoyed it. Um, and also, this is like the first movie that we did that isn't, that is, um, 
kind of really down to earth, you know, like the, the even rear window. I mean, maybe just because it's so long ago, still feels sure. sort of like far away. This does I, feel yeah. like I'm looking outside, you know, with a caveat that I think a lot of the filmmaking in this is very stylized and interesting. The actual plot is for the most part. Uh, yeah, pl- very, very uh down to yeah, earth very, yeah it's very yeah. very it's human plot mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah, it's, and yeah they, so, they even give you that open the opening uh, montage really kind of localizes it in oakland um great place to shoot and, yeah i mean it looks like a lot of great places to shoot out there i mean like well, I, I think this this was shot along right alongside of uh the, the boots riley movie sorry uh, which is you. also I, yeah which is also takes was, place in there oakland there was one bodega that i saw uh, in one scene of this movie that i'm pretty sure is also in sorry to bother you i've definitely been to the oakland fox theater i've definitely yeah. been there seen neurosis play for sure been to that yeah. fucking theater parked in that well, neighborhood it's interesting. They did a great job sort of localizing this story and really kind of um, getting a good sense of what that area feels like, or at least the change that's occurring, because a lot of it's about gentrification. Um, it's similar to like Collateral, if you guys remember that movie from way back when. Like I hadn't seen a movie that really got what downtown L.A. looks and feels like around Koreatown. And that movie really nailed it. So this one, to me, was remarkable because it really kind of nailed the sense of being in Oakland and in San Francisco in the Bay Area in general. Yeah, and and you know, having lived in a neighborhood not necessarily in New York but definitely in Los Angeles going through gentrification. I remember when we applied for the apartment out there, the lady that we were applying to literally says, "Oh, don't worry, this neighborhood's becoming gentrified." And I'm just like, "Oh, we just say it out the open, huh? We just say it to each other." That's just here we are. Yeah, we says, here's your white man and your white woman and your nice little dog. And yes, you may have this apartment. Um, but yeah, this still, movie, it, this movie it, asks some really interesting questions about gentrification and how it it's kind of evil because it's like there's a lot of nice things that suddenly show up. I think the the cup of green juice that they keep drinking really kind of brought that back because when they first drink it, it's like, oh, God, this is disgusting. And I guess spoiler by the end of the movie we should mention we do spoilers on this. I think we forgot that. Oh, correct. Yeah, right, right. We oh, are definitely. spoiling yes, yes. the entirety of <laughs> That's this right. film. That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, spoilers. We, we will be uh, yeah, spoiling green, out of every green. orifice of this movie. Every yeah, spoil we can think of. spoiler is about to drop. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially relevant for this movie because it's, uh, I think, the most... No, it's not the most recent movie we've done, but it's close to it close to it yeah. but even again lighthouse still it takes place in like the 18 late 1800s and still like, yeah. kind of a yeah. scary movie this is definitely a movie of the time it's made in yeah but just to uh, wrap it up it's just that the the green juice is like gross by the start and by the end one of the characters starts drinking it and thinks it's okay um and they kind of get into the fact that it's essentially people moving into lower income areas taking over businesses taking over neighborhoods pushing out people who no longer can afford to live there and then changing the fabric of the neighborhood at such a fundamental level that it is really, uh, it's an extension of like general racism. And it's not something I really was aware of back in 2010, but it's something that I've definitely become aware of now For in sure. LA because there are entire areas that are getting wiped out the same way. For sure. The movie yeah. has an extended sort of, well, there's a few other, there's a few examples in this movie of like the effects of gentrification that I really uh, I like uh, quite a bit. I like the way that the this is in the first scene and it gets followed up at a later scene at a party. But there's a place called the Quick Way that uh, clearly these <laughs> characters <laughs> have like been been like a fan of for a long time living in Oakland. And it's just had its grand reopening. Uh, it only serves vegan burgers unless you specify otherwise. And they now <laughs> deliver. One of the characters is so angry that the quick way now delivers because it's right in the title that it's quick and it's around the way they don't cater i i i and I, I, that was miles who did it and I, by the way i think this is one of his first like real movies where he's actually acting i have it. a few um, things to say about the creative um team behind yeah I, I actually well let me get into that for a little bit because i think it's 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 unusual you know like i'm reminded of the william goldman quote when he was talking about uh, all the president's men because robert redford was the producer of that movie and him trying to hire a someone who was going to play opposite him and b someone who is going to direct him and i've he it, goldman kind of opines about the awkwardness of that meeting you know where you're going to be directing me 
but I'm your boss. So like it, it is kind of a weird relationship and it, it's kind of similar with this one. Cause, um, both the actors, David Diggs and, um, Raphael. Uh, Raphael yeah. They, uh, they were right. They wrote the screenplay. They were executive producers of it. They did not direct it. Um, it's directed by uh, another first time. This is like I think his first major. This is uh, Carlos first. Lopez Estrada. Yeah, right. Uh, I, he's known. He's known mostly for a variety of uh, music videos. Um, yeah, and TV shows too. He did Legion. Yeah. He did a couple episodes yeah, of Legion, if I'm Legion. not mistaken. Um, yeah. Which is you know right on. I think that's great. Um, it, I think given how good it looks without really biting off more than it can chew. Oh, well done. Fucking well done. But I always, I wanted to talk about that. Is there like, imagine that kind of awkwardness of like having to pick a director that you're going to be directing me and my pal. We wrote this. We're kind of producing this. We're your boss. So how much leeway do you think a director like that actually has? Um, Or do you think this was more or less a, probably a conversation that started right away. At least that's how Goldman talked about it with uh, all the president's men. Um, I'm sure Zach probably did some additional research. I know that these guys worked on it for about 10 years. I'm assuming that wow, in 10 years. This, That's amazing. Yeah, they, they were uh, they were writing it like 10 years ago. These guys, uh, it's semi autobiographical. They knew each other since they were kids. Um, they yeah, grew they up met in Oakland. They met in high school when David Diggs, who plays Colin, was a senior. And I believe Raphael was a freshman at the time. Raphael this was at Berkeley High School. Raphael got expelled two years into his career there. But love, um, it. love it. Well, to answer your question, though, like I think uh, every directing situation is different. Like oftentimes you get hired on and you get pulled in and you have to figure out what the client wants. Sometimes it is your baby. However, if you're a TV director, when you go in, it is the writer's baby. Right. Like you and are it, a hired gun. Who right. Comes but you in also it's what you're told to. Right, but you're also in, in in a position to where you have to direct the writers, and because they're playing the characters, and it's still kind of your movie. But I guess uh, um, to to on the contrary wise, I think that it would be kind of fun to work with people who are so passionate. This is their baby, you know, and and you kind of feel like you're. Do you kind of get like a midwife syndrome where you're just sort of guiding it along with their vision sort of thing? And I guess, you know, when this is a first time directing sort of thing, it's kind of nice to have that much passion and love for a project. You know, you don't really have to motivate them in the morning. They're they're ready I, to go. I suspect there was at least a fair amount of trust in this director for a couple reasons. Um, one, obviously, we mentioned that a lot of the direction is heavily is very stylistic. And I suspect these people had seen his work on TV and in music videos. And that was part of the reason why they hired them, because in particular, these guys, Raphael Cassell did some TV work prior to this. Uh, So did David Diggs, but David Diggs mostly, both of them actually really uh, were connected to the the public theater in New York City, where Raphael Cassell does like uh, a theatrical acting teaching class. And David Diggs, he's still most famous for being in the original cast of Hamilton as Thomas Jefferson slash Marquis de Lafayette. In fact, the woman who plays uh, Raphael yeah, Cassell's she was wife, Skyler. she was mm-hmm. also in the original cast of Hamilton. So it seems like these are guys with a lot of theatrical background. Um, yeah, they wrote this was, script. Uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones. Yeah, daughter of Ron Cephas. Ron Cephas yep. Jones is her dad. He's in a bunch of stuff like Mr. Robot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, that suddenly clicks together. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Yeah. I love Mr. Robot. Sorry. (laughs) That was a good show. Um, (laughs) No, I just, I don't know. I I think it's, I think it's cool, but I always, I'm just, because it's always what I think about when I watch these movies and then, you know, when I look them up on IMDb, you know, these two guys who I, again, I think both of them were fantastic in this movie. I mean, I think that um, both of them are great futures ahead of them, but I'll get to that later. Um, But, you know, again, considering, and also, considering I'm not surprised that their background is in um, stage performance because of within the screenplay, how hip hop and rapping is so intertwined into it. It's it in a, in a, in a way like Shakespeare would do it. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of, it's very evident. And I, I think that this film walks that line every time they throw in musical theater randomly into uh, movies and I don't see it coming. Um, I'm always taken back and it usually doesn't bode well, but this one would worked really, really well. Cause it felt more organic and it felt more like they're just fucking rapping, you know, they're yeah. just chilling. Um, um, they, it's they, also, it's also a thing where I don't know if it's just confirmation bias on my part, but I know that since 
the multiple people in this were in Hamilton. A variety of the rapping scenes that have sort of a cadence to them, like for instance, the dream sequence in the courtroom and things like that, feel a little bit more inflected by Hamilton and sort of how some of the structural stuff happened there. I don't know if that's... That might be stretching it too far, and I'll let you guys speak to that. Well, but one or both of them prior to the success of Hamilton was also in a hip-hop group, so they definitely have a background in... I think they, they themselves are on the soundtrack. Yeah. Well, I, I know think... they do hip-hop themselves. I was just saying, in this case, I the musical theater element, where it's like occasionally going into rap to deal with the somewhat very difficult-to-express uh, emotional context stuff, of racism and how it affects people. I think it's easier to listen to that and understand that in terms of the music and the rap going on, because I think if somebody was to just say those lines, it would come out uh, tin. I don't think it would come out well. That's because just my music's, this, music's an emotive thing, you know, and rapping is yep. music. So like you, without that emotion, if it is just like a Lawrence Olivier speech and Julius Caesar or whatever, you wouldn't, I mean, not that it's not emotional that Lawrence Olivier does it easy internet, but I, I, there is, there's stuff you can't convey just with words uh, There's and, and, and rap is a great venue of mirroring, of marrying the images to the words, you know, like I, the whole concept of blind spotting, I think is, is pretty unique. Um, what, what they call it and what it is and how they utilize it throughout the film. But anyway, I just wanted to talk because every time that they, they spring out, musical theater to me on a movie and I don't see it coming unless it's played just right um because I could even argue that dream sequence that happens in the movie and it's a fucking killer rap dude they're good at what they do it has to be played just right and and this movie did that I I think that the dream sequence is the closest thing to a fully true musical number in the movie even from like the very first scene they established that these guys freestyle just as they're walking around so in certain like in that scene and there's one where they're moving stuff from a house and the scene, it's not a full fledged like piece, but like even as the scene fades away, they're still kind of rhyming with each other as like the camera pulls back and it fades away. And then yeah, that's, kind the, of that's a scene where they they go from being passive observers to actively having to cr- create an empty house and encourage gentrification in their own area. Is that the second right. brilliant? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and um at the end, they even comment on the use of music a little bit by there's a line when he confronts the cop at the end about how people are sort of trained or more likely to listen to a black man rapping than a black man talking, which the sort of puts a, I don't know, another layer of, of why they chose to use that device. Huh? That that, that went right over my head that I'm, first time around. So that that's yeah, fucking I mean, great. That, that, essentially uh is sort of describing what we just did so that's yeah, <laughs> probably very accurate yeah and what uh, they do when they just hang out we freestyle when we hang out we just talk about movies look at us freestyle and huh? and, How about that? and and just because because i'm kind of a bleeding heart liberal on this thing if uh we're all white guys we're psi white males we um probably have our own biases and our own things we're unaware of i remembering back to 10 years ago when we first did this podcast and some of the opinions I had at the time and then moving out into the real world or at least moving out where I had to like interact with people. A lot of views I had were changed significantly because they went from things that I was saying to uh, other people that I knew immediately to saying them to people that were actively being affected by some of the things occurring with racism so what I'm saying is, is that if we get into something on this that is not um, correct, I would be very open to being corrected below or having something explained additionally. And I uh, am just generally hoping that no one takes anything we're saying here as being uh, insensitive to any of that, which is something I feel very strongly about now, having become a uh, bleeding heart liberal on the <laughs> West Coast. <laughs> Um, well, uh, you know, I, the, and the fact that I love the way this movie deals with race, um, in that the Raphael's character, Miles is confused with a transplant and that's what sets him off. Yeah. You know, that's when he fucking can't stand it. Um, he wouldn't be mistaken for a transplant if he weren't white, 
you know like yeah. i think that that they're kind of implying that a little bit in the movie and i think that that kind of that's what set him off um everything's changing around him i i think what the reason why this movie's great is cuz it's it's dealing with perdition change is happening um and how whether good or bad change how people are affecting themselves to that and not so much change even in the 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 material but how people look at each other is changing you know you're uh, the, one of the big moments of the movie is it, it could be you know, a little bit just like friend expos- customer exposition comes in here and then just lays out what happened, but they do it very well. Um, I, I think done with a different sort of creative group that could have been very hacky. Um, but I think that it was done pretty well because you revealed the real conflict between um, his ex-girlfriend and Collins and without them really saying anything. And it's, it's, it's very, very powerful. And that's the whole point of the movie. Um, well, they also do the very smart thing, I think, of introducing the actual um, sociological terms without having it like it's not a uh, a teacher pulls them aside and does the stand by me moment of explaining what implicit bias is or anything like that. It's that he's helping his girlfriend <laughs> at the time read uh, cue cards so that she can do well on her studies. And then they talk about it later. And it's where the term for the whole movie blind spotting comes from. But it's one of those things where they get into the more serious parts of the cultural change happening and some of the imbalances that have been thrown kind of stark into contract into contrast for a lot of people that probably were unaware I, of them before. I lightly suspect that you guys are talking about uh, two different sequences. Chris is talking about the sequence that gives the film its title, where um, his girlfriend is learning... Uh, some sort of like about psychological and argue and logic. Uh, like she's taking a class on topics like that. And she sees that classic picture that can either be a vase or two faces looking at each other. And uh, your mind, she talks about how your mind instinctually makes the choice immediately, which of the two it thinks it is. And even if you can recognize the other one, it's extraordinarily difficult to rewire your mind, not to see the one you saw first every single time. And so it's a blind spot. You're blind spotting the picture. And that's obviously relevant to how people see both the white and the black characters in this. Um, but but also a- how the interpersonal characters see each other. Yes. You know, that's that's what I was kind of getting at with that being the point of the movie with, you know, when you learn the whole story sure. of what happened to him they- and what ended up in the in the clink was. And then how she, it really the story is how she looks at him. You know, and that is yeah. how it. That's a great they dramatic even, device. Well, the the to reason use. I mentioned those two sequences is because I think they bookend each other. Because mm-hmm. she's saying the thing that we see happen, like she's giving the sociological term, but then we see the actual attack, where, you know, it's essentially it goes out of hand, and you can tell that people probably didn't originally intend to hurt each other that badly. However. You know, the Miles character runs around with a gun, firing it in the air a couple times. And the the other character, um, uh, I cannot remember the main Colin. character's name. Colin. Colin. Jesus, thank you. Uh, Colin, of course, is African-American. And, you know, he's constantly having to be extremely over the line as far as, like, how safe he's being. Uh, because, you know, he's been in a halfway house and it's just not the same. Like, the bias for cops stopping him is way higher than it is for Miles. So Miles can just pull a gun out and never go to jail. But if Colin did that, he'd immediately go to jail. I think there's, yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to say two things. One about the sequence where they show what Colin and Miles did. Um, I noticed that the guy who ended up getting beaten up was specifically described as a Colorado oh, white Colorado dude. man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which uh, we are all Colorado natives, for those listening. That's right. So I was, well, I, sort of native. I, yeah, I knew you all from he, Colorado. Yeah, yeah right. Long enough. I, yeah. I will say that, you know, even though it was probably a little uh, on the nose for calling people out on gentrification, the fact they kept referring to him as Topher Grace made me laugh quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, there was something. They uh, called him Jason Biggs, too, at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the and other the scorpion thing is, goal and the scorpion bowl in general scor- also hits me really funny because it's like everybody's into tiki right now, mm, and what? it, it t- tiki is like really big in LA, and even I have gone to do tiki bars and stuff. However, it's entirely cultural appropriation for some of that stuff. Like it's not a real 
place it's a concept of a place so you're going yeah. and getting free drinks more than anything else it, yeah it's just a guy's excuse because they can't go to a regular bar and order a bahama mama you know like they yeah they, they, they they'll make it yeah for they you, would look but, at you funny if yeah, you walked in and said but, i would like to get a hurricane right. please. i mean yeah right they'll they'll make it for you but you know yeah <laughs> it's gonna but be a while the other the other thing about uh, it's about how the characters see each other i think is also very well laid out in a scene that mirrors the image of the vase with the two faces. Early yeah. on in the movie, Wayne Bingo. Knight tells the two of them to face each other, and there's a shot that cuts back between their faces. This is before they've even shown the vase face thing. Um, but clearly it's meant to be, and him for him trying to get them to truly look at each other, and they kind of laugh it off and can't do it and think it's ridiculous. But it mirrors, you know, it's an it's an, you know, the image yeah, mirrors and the actual. They, they they pay that off even later on too. I think when when and and I was gonna bring this up when I talked about the editing, but like that it, they use a lot of split screen in this movie, mm-hmm. um, which which can draw a lot of attention to itself if done poorly. But this I felt was just fine, um, and especially it was really fine. I thought it what made it amazing was the payoff of the image when he's on the phone with her. You know, and they do that split screen and the both cameras on each angle are kind of zooming in and eventually it does meet that image where they're looking at each other like that. I thought that was just a great payoff of the split screen, you know, um, but before yeah, we continue, whole sequence felt really good because it started kind of wide and it got closer as it got more intimate. And also um, it's always amazing to see actors that and this is probably not this is probably a pretty obvious thing, but when you see actors doing phone calls and emoting heavily, those are always interesting scenes to me because the other actor might not be present. So if someone's really getting to the heart of a situation or a a subject and crying and being emotional, they're sometimes just doing that into the void. So when they can marry those two together, it's always interesting to me that it works really well. The other other thing I was going to bring up about the gentrification thing, um, there's a metaphor in the movie that i like quite a lot they also mention this in the climactic rap we'll eventually get we'll have to talk about that scene where he confronts the policeman and the actual yeah, shooting of that and the, guy but, and the the use of police in general yeah um but uh there is this metaphor that i think is also first mentioned in that wayne knight scene that wayne knight character is meant to be like a photographer who's got lived in this community since way back and he's finally leaving he's he's heading out and he's he's photographed the the city of Oakland for years and years and years and years. And he has this thing where he puts big Oak trees photoshopped into pictures of Oakland because hundred years ago, there were Oak trees all over. And they use the Oak trees as a metaphor for the gentrification, the chopping down of the Oak trees in the hipster party. He has an original Oakland Oak tree stump that he uses as a table. And at the end of the movie, they reference um, black men being cut down like by like trees. So it's this interesting thing of like the history of Oakland changing through this. I don't know. I guess you would call it kind of violence against definitely against the yeah. black people, but uh, against the trees. And I really enjoyed the not overuse, but subtle use of that metaphor of the the trees is like Oakland being torn down and remade into something new. It also really kind of did a visual metaphor for appropriation. Uh, yeah. Because you have a, a giant party where people are being hipsters and doing their thing, which the the party was not a very empathetic scene. I was, I, I probably would have wanted yeah, to just been, sort of been, been to one or two of those parties. Have you, have you, Borf? Been to one or two of those parties? Yeah. I know I, I mean, have. They're, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not good at parties. So those sort of things make me yeah, crazy. I, I but, leave um, first chance I get. I shake hands I, and I get the fuck out of there. I have seen instances of that, though. Like in this case, they're using a tree stump, but I have seen things where you go into parties and they'll have something of a cultural history that is not connected to anyone who's part of that house. Where it's like, you know, they have a piece of Polynesian wood or something else. And if you've gone on a vacation there and you've picked up something, you're bringing it back as a trinket. If you're bringing it back as a trinket, that makes sense. But if uh, you just ordered it off eBay and you have it there to point to it and describe it, it's kind of annoying. It's like the... uh, The scene with the old man in Get Out, where he's describing something on his wall. And you're like, fuck this old man. Mm-hmm. This is weird. He's pointing this out. Fuck him. Yeah. I, I, and there is something kind of a little bit morbid about celebrating the, the the prehistory of Oakland by mounting a piece of its corpse as your centerpiece of your living room. 
Um, you know, there's something a little bit, I, I, that's what I took out of it. Like, look, look at all the rings, you know, like, yeah, we wouldn't see the rings if the tree was still standing, you prick. It's also the party where they have the quick way burgers, but like the new quick way. And they have a giant Oakland sign. And one of the guys who said he moved there from Portland two years ago has an Oakland tattoo, the same Oakland tattoo as Miles. Yeah, Miles neck. had a rough night that night. He yeah. had a really rough night that night. Well, and because they it, it opened that whole bad night, the last night of probation or whatever, starts out really chilling with um because they talk a lot about guns and guns ownership and gun safety you know like uh, there's a very chilling scene you know i you you know it's one of those movies where it's kind of lighthearted throughout most of it they're pretty funny they're charming but you always know especially since you saw that cop shoot that guy you know that there's going to be punctuated violence at any moment in a given time and when they turn the room and they see that little kid holding the gun like my my blood ran cold um and the scene's very well done it, it spoiler alert it happily works out but that's how his good night that's how his night starts yeah um, i mean it's, it's remarkable because it really kind of drives home the fact that violence is ever present and it's unexpected and it just occurs like you'll see scenes like when you go into that party scene it looks like the same scene you've seen a hundred times where it's just gonna be like okay these guys are gonna have a bad night they'll leave they'll make fun of some hipsters yada 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 there'll be some punchlines but it ends with like a gun fight or a guy shooting a gun and someone being beaten. And then it leads to Badly a lot of assets. It really, yeah. It, yeah, it was amazing to me because it's one of those films where it really played tone against me as the audience member to keep me engaged because I kept thinking I knew where it was going to go because I've seen these in other, I've seen other movies that have a cultural relevance like this. And you kind of have that, a playbook in your head a little bit of like, okay, well, there's going to be this happen. And then there'll be some sort of a tragic, sad ending where, our hero turns into a Jesus figure and he's got And all these things happen. <laughs> or, the or the bullets is, don't pierce daddy when he holds the baby from the, yeah, from, yeah, the yeah. from the angry oh, store owner, yeah, from the angry remember. store owner, Borf. Are, are we talking about fucking crash again? <laughs> you know the it. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> Fuck crash. Sorry. Um, <laughs> classic uh, for, for fans of the oh old podcast. God. It's a classic, classic Borf temper tantrum. Um, is Crash. Uh, <laughs> Crash still makes my blood boil. Um, right, yeah. We'll get into well, it another This time. movie is not Crash, thank God. This movie's yeah. well... It's, it, I, I'm, I'm impressed you said it took him 10 years. It shows. I mean, it's a really great script. Um, it, 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 it says everything you need to know about these characters who are again very likable they're very funny they're you get along with them you know like they're they're your pals um it, it plays funny because it plays like uh if goodwill hunting was about real problems rather than just matt damon being too handsome and smart to stay in southie boston yeah <laughs> which is kind of a lame problem he has in that movie that has always bothered me but in this one, like dealing with apples. real problems yeah i mean they're dealing with like racism and things that are actual you know, human cost issues, not just, oh, gee, I'm too special to stay here. Like, that's not a real problem, Matt Damon. So we were talking about how this is a movie that is both funny, but is not afraid to have extremely dramatic moments. I'm going to talk uh, early on in the movie. This is a scene that uh, the watching of it was really riveting to me for a few different reasons. First, because it was very funny. Then, because I thought the conflict was something entirely different from what it was going to be, and then became very dramatic. So, right at the beginning of the movie, Colin is at a stoplight, and he has to get home before his curfew uh, for probation. And the stoplight, even though the street is completely deserted, goes on for a minute, 90 seconds. That's, that's and true of all California stoplights, I, by the way. That is oh, that's very common. True oh, they, we, everywhere. we've got them. I've got one just down the street. It's true. I call everywhere. It the and I, I thought it hell. was, I really thought that the scene was funny with him. Like it was very relatable. I was like chuckling to myself, just at him waiting at this completely deserted street for this goddamn stoplight to change when no one was around. And then I was like, okay, maybe the conflict here is he's going to decide to run this thing and there'll be a cop right there and it'll break his probation. But he doesn't. He has the restraint not to. And right when it turns green, a man runs in front of his car, a cop chases him, and he sees this man shot in the back by this cop four times. And the scene takes this turn from like light drama, but mostly comedy to very intense, very quickly. And... uh it works like it's very a, it's scary. A, it's a tone shift that works very well. And um, yeah, it, it feels like you've suddenly been dropped into a horror film for a moment. It's it's yeah. intense. Uh, also, the the cop, the cop is uh, played by Ethan Embry, by the way, which is just yeah, a very strange 
actor choice, but I mean, he did fine in it. It's just very funny to see Ethan Embry pop up again. Uh, Carlson's looking in the distance. If you remember that thing you do, I believe he was okay. the drummer in that thing oh, you do. He's, uh, oh, I'll or be the damned. Okay. Or something. okay. All right. Uh, you All might right. also okay. remember him from Empire Records and Can't Hardly Wait. Oh, my God. Uh, that, oh, holy shit. Now I got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's the wow. guy who looks vaguely like uh, John Brookbank, if you remember him from college. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. Shout out to you, Johnny. Um uh yeah no I I I think the, the the horror movie comment really really stuck with me Borf because the way they use police throughout the movie I mean he's torn apart by what he witnessed you know he's yeah. he's it sticks with him but then it gets to this point where every cop he sees like he just kind of freezes you know and they they make it, it it reminded me almost like sharks in the water you know where it's just kind of like there's that one scene where it seems like nothing but I mean he knows that he's busted if this cop does the wrong thing um and lights on him and everything like you really do feel like this is it like this is this is gonna be what turned what what could have been you know a sort of i i buddy conflict taking clock start me too i thought that was what was going to happen that he was going to get shot or something was going to occur and then he'd be running for the rest of the movie but they again surprised the heck out of me by not doing that i love it when movies make you lean into a punch and like just totally make you look foolish for doing so. I love movies like that. Um, and that's why I, I it, it's and that's why, again, even the title with blind spotting, there's a lot of payoffs about how you see other people and the interpersonal relationships, not, not just between Collins and the ex-girlfriend, but even Collins and Miles. Like he sees Miles differently after that. And has he been blind spotting Miles this whole time? I, and I has think, Miles been blind spotting him? I mean, you could go a step farther even because i think that both in particular for miles i think collins is in colin is in the middle of this self-reappraisal but near the end of the film i think both colin and to a lesser degree the cop himself realized the way they viewed themselves was incorrect because i think the cop almost didn't realize what a brutal system he was a part of um i don't think they give him much sympathy in the end but he's like, I, I think he doesn't, I don't know. I think there's something about it that he didn't understand. I think he's been indoctrinated into a specific way of thinking, just as Miles didn't realize to some degree the way that he was a part of Oakland, but not a part of the black community. Like, I think that there's these ways of self-evaluation that that fail for multiple characters. I think Colin is the only one who is taking the time to address it Colin kept calling him stupid like you keep doing stupid shit you know it's not about you being white or black it's about you doing dumb shit and I get the fucking blame for it um you know and that seems to be true I I will say Miles does a little bit at the end have that because I think he's the one who drinks from the from the gentrified juice almost you know and I I think that's a moment for him for both of them really that like kind of not necessarily accepting change but being ready that change is coming you know and I, I think that that was a nice in a way they just drive off into the sunset it was nice like i, I yeah. thought that the the movie wasn't gonna I, I the movie had a potential to end very tragically on multiple facets mm-hmm. um and didn't and and bringing up the cop thing i think that the way that Embry plays it and the way that it seems like his life is presented he's just surrounded in self-guilt um and colin is there to remind you that you don't know how guilty you are yeah like you don't even know how guilty you are um, and, and I think that that was, well, it was powerful. I mean, uh, the, the way I felt when Colin was rapping to the cop, I really felt like this movie needs to be shown today. Um, because there's a lot of mirrors of like, you know, now we're fucking mad, you know, like it is now we're just outraged yeah. because there's no, yeah. you've left us no choice. You've left us no choice, you know? And, and again, like they, they, he even says it in the, in the rap, you know, quit worrying about the vases and start looking at the faces. Um, brilliant. Fucking brilliant. It would make sense then that they picked Ethan Embry out because I think he has like the star power he brought to this as being sort of the affable, friendly dude. The fact that you see him shoot somebody, it does add a lot of humanity to that character to see Ethan Embry like breaking down and crying. A lot of the stuff they talk about directly involving uh, Miles uh, and how he is uh, acting as sort of like a gangster. He's acting like a thug. But Colin is the one who keeps taking the blame for yeah. that stuff. 
it really sort of laid out um, what I think is a very uncomfortable truth for a lot of people, which is that you don't really understand the privileges you have until you realize that other people don't have them. And they're usually carrying the water for you. Miles, I think, even fails to recognize it among his own family. Like, Colin's mom gives uh, Miles' wife this pamphlet called The Talk, appropriately enough, but it's clearly about talking to your child, if you're a person of color, about how to deal with the police. And it's not a conversation that Miles is involved with at all, because it's just not a part of his life in the same way it is for his wife and daughter. And the degree to which he even recognizes that is unclear. He, when when the kid raises his hand, says, don't shoot, I think there's a moment with Miles. Again, I got to hand it for this guy, for him not, for it being a first feature like movie. I hope this guy gets a lot of work because he's really good in this. Like, I mean, yeah. maybe it's just because he has been working on it for 10 years and is intimately familiar with it. But boy, he's got a lot of a lot of chutzpah I'm, I'm impressed um but um, i think that this, was the moment this for him honest, this is an honest old man question i have to ask was that a boy or a girl it was a boy okay i think you said daughter did i whoops okay. no well, I, pa- uh, powers did oh no oh, i misspoke yeah it's it's, okay. a, it's a boy it's, uh, this, the kid's name is sean yeah it's a, okay it's, okay yeah um so i think that moment when he kind of that that kind of pierces through miles's shall we call it privilege or, or his own perspective. Um, and again, he's blind spotted by that too. Cause he's only seeing a little kid and they're just trying to learn about cops, but he doesn't realize that the fear of any violence is going to make you react that way because that's the only violence you've been really kind of clinically taught or indoctrinated to respond to. Um, and I think that that's, that was very powerful use. I thought it was really great. And I think it's even more than the socio political economic aspects of this movie i really liked it just because i love buddy movies like this where Mm. one guy is kind of not really outgrowing but more or less kind of you cause me a lot of shit i never really get to say about it i I immediately thought of like um and i haven't even seen it yet but like you know mickey and nikki with cassavetes and peter falk or or Mean Streets is also a, a good one to think of, too. Sounds like Shaun um, of the Dead, too. That's a common oh, thing. Oh, no, there you like go, buddy. One, Thank, one you, friend, Thank you, Maddie. One man. friend is, like, ready to engage Thank in life, you, and the other friend is, yeah, no problem. It's that hey, thing uh, where, like, one friend is sort of held back a little bit by something, and the other one really wants to go out and start anew, which I think yeah. is a challenge you feel with a lot of things that happen as you're, like, coming of age. Like, you have yeah. friends that stay, like, for me, I had tons of friends who stayed in Indiana, and I was like, Man, you guys know there's nothing but corn here, right? We got to get out of here. <laughs> Colin isn't necessarily outgrowing Miles, but he's kind of at a crossroads in his life where things are going to change for him rapidly, and he needs to, and he's kind of in this moment of self-evaluation, whereas Miles doesn't strike me as the guy that takes moments to self-evaluate all that often. Um, and I think that that's what this movie for him, that was Miles's journey in this movie, was him to, he's got to look at his own self every now and then. Whereas Colin, I think, needs is trying to do the opposite. He's trying to realize how other people see him. It's really a great film. Um, I really recommend it. I, uh, you know, it, it. I think it was, I looked at uh, a few reviews for this movie. One of them, in fact, was... Um, to cut back something we talked about earlier, said that this movie succeeded in everything Crash miserably failed to do. <laughs> Hell yes. Fuck Crash. Um, Fuck but, Crash. Um, That's my stance forever. A few other things like, uh, yeah, this movie like was highly regarded as very much slept on in 2018. Part of the reason I wanted to see it is a movie review podcast I listen to sometimes called Double Toasted, which is hosted by uh, two uh, two black men. We're like big fans of this movie, and I had known very little about it. And I was like, well, after they heaped so much praise on it, I was like, I'm really curious about this thing. And I never got around to it. I used this podcast as an excuse to do it. And the fact that it's finally on HBO Go, if the viewers who... Uh, Want to have one to see it? I think well, it's a soon they're going to be time. without HBO Go. It's, it's short. In that. It's only ninety minutes. It's quick. Like I'm surprised by how fa- how short this movie is. Obama put it on his best of 2018, apparently. Um, but uh, I I mean it's a good film. It makes sense. I uh, I really liked a lot of the uh, the actors, the performances. It was sort of surprising seeing some of the people that were picked. I don't know if they were just known to the actors originally or not. Like they. Uh, uh, most people would know him as Nedry from Jurassic Park appears. Mm-hmm. It's a Wayne, Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. Wayne yeah. Knight. 
Um, oh, come on. Everybody knows him from Newman, from Seinfeld. Well, yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah, come yeah. on. Well, there's also, like, one of the other ones that I was happy about was, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when they went into the barbershop, the lady who runs the barbershop is uh, Martin Lawrence's girlfriend on the TV show Martin. And she's also Chiffon from Little Shop of Horrors when she did that all the way back in the 80s. So... For me, for a very specific uh, interest in Chiffon from Little Shop of Horrors, because that, the, every scene they appear in is the best, I was extremely excited. I really, in a completely dorky way, I wish she had come back for more of the movie, because I was like, this lady's funny. I want to see more of this lady in movies. Um, for sure. Yeah, I... I, I- <laughs> Every one of these people can keep making movies as far as I'm concerned. And that's why, I, again, I'm, I'm amazed that Hollywood slept on this because it seems like right up like the Academy's like right up their purview. I mean, it seems what they would look for. I'm just shocked by it. Yeah. But, I mean, then again, me saying the Academy has done anything right. The last thing they did right was give Parasite the best picture. I think um, even the, in some ways it does feel it felt like me watching the film uh, that not only the backbone of uh the spinal column, as you call it, of hip hop through the movie. It does seem like obviously this director who uh, we've discussed did music videos. He's uh, an immigrant from Mexico City, not born in the States. Um, Like, uh, which is another thing that uh, the Academy could try to get behind to get some of that Oscar so white (laughs) shit off their back. Um, But um, it seems like there is some DNA from like other prominent black filmmakers of the past because there were times in this movie especially when they would just go through their community and meet people and have these conversations that were very stylized and all do the right thing it was shot yeah i couldn't help but think of do the right thing at certain points yep yeah it's it's unavoidable um and it's it it's it's sort of hard but like yet not quite on the nose you know like it's not it's just like around the corner like i i you know homages are great you know i'm a big fan oh yeah i don't think it was ripping it off it just there were parts that felt like it uh, yeah. As a quick thing to put this film in context, too, because you were asking why it did it got a pass at the Oscars or didn't get a lot of buzz. buzz. Um, the year prior, uh, at least 2018, which would be the year this came out, which is mm-hmm. the year prior in Academy Award years, uh, Get Out was the best screenplay. And then the following year, best picture was uh, Green Book. Green Book, yep. And it also had Black Panther, Black Klansman, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. There were a number of other films that came out that were all dealing with different um, parts of this. The It's interesting that people uh, gave Green Book Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay against something like this, though, since Green Book was outed as pretty... Uh, Inaccurate Untrue? and inaccurate. One of the writers mm. is a uh, kind of a racist douche, Trump Pretty, supporter uh, type. Whitewashed. Uh, yeah. yeah. I will say, uh, I enjoyed Black Klansman. I think I like this movie better. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. I mean, I like Black Klansman too, but but I I this movie was I even like. I mean, I I thought. You know, I keep bringing up sorry to bother you just because they seem to be cousins or whatever, just because they're shot in the same town at the same time. But um, I even like that more than I like that. I mean, sorry to bother you has a lot of flaws. It's a very strange movie. But again, well, it's, it's realism. Uh, like, it's a, it'd be a fun yeah. movie to talk about someday because that movie has 10,000 ideas crammed into a 90 minute runtime. Yeah, and it's it does crazy. some better than others. And I enjoy that movie a lot, but it it was aiming for so many concepts and it needed to cut it down just a little bit. Yeah, it's a strange yeah. one. I mean, I liked it, it but it has I, like I, a, I, about 15 midpoints that keep occurring when something <laughs> yeah. changes and you're like, oh, this is the movie now? Uh, but I love that too because Boots Riley is kind of a wild man on that. So Fuck the yeah. fact is, the that, coup, that, baby. That, was, love that, shit. that was a real wild, wild movie. But but I even like this movie because again it's more human. This is this is a movie that's a lot more universal in its presentation because this again it boils down to pretty much just a buddy movie. Everybody's had a friend that you're like God. If I do, I have to go out with him again. Everybody's had that. Um, yeah. Typically, it's me. Um, but well, they, I mean, this movie they, they, deals they, with the subtlety and the humanity of those two characters on a little bit more of a fundamental level. I've noticed, and this isn't to oh boy, if you just earned my bonus point, buddy. I had it. <laughs> I had it circled. <laughs> Plot revealed through character, my friend. You just bo- well, you got my bonus point. When you brought up Do the Right Thing and Spike Lee, I think they're different filmmakers. It's a fundamentally different time. So a lot of the stuff that 
needed to be handled in a little bit more of an on-the-nose way in this movie is handled in more of a subtle way. So, you know, I've enjoyed Black Klansman and I enjoy a lot of Spike Lee films, but they're not gentle, subtle films. They're usually no. more about the overt violence and actions that are happening and the fact that it needs to stop immediately. This one was I, much more I about won't... the humanity. I would say how Black Klansman ends, just in case our listeners haven't heard it, but it's not overt. <laughs> they make their point as, as clearly and obviously as possible. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot like people uh, giving David Simon not a lot of shit for doing plot yeah, against America. It's, it's, I would say it's, it's very overt. overt. It's yeah. very overt. Yes. Yeah, it, it was like oh, you know, people were giving David Simon a lot of shit for plot against America. Oh, nice subtle jab at Trump, and David Simon's like, oh, I wasn't being subtle. <laughs> I yeah. was not trying to be subtle, <laughs> um, but that's I, I, I. But but I did read on according to IMDb this they they are trying to greenlight a series a TV show based off of Blind Spotting, um, which I don't know what that would look like if you don't cast these two guys doing it. I mean, they'd obviously be EPs and probably write a few episodes, but they probably wouldn't have time uh, at this point to, my to do it. I'm wondering if it's turned into a show, they would just do that themselves. I'm I guessing. don't think I. I don't think that these guys are either to the level of fame where they would turn down a television show. I mean, I think David Diggs said yes to that Snowpiercer series. Like, he's on that. At first, when I saw that, before I before I watched the movie, I was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, you know, they made Fargo into a TV show, and it kind of rules, so, you know, anything's possible. But then I watched it, and I was like, okay, I get why they're doing this as a TV show, because you really do like these characters, and I, I could stand to do a couple more adventures with uh, Miles and Colin. Like they're, and, they're, and the film yeah. is not an end-all be-all story of the story of these characters or Oakland. It's just a chapter. Like it feels like you could keep going a slice of life and explore yeah. other, other concepts, other, other issues within yeah. specifically Oakland or the black experience in America or. Yeah. Just and you could, you class. could, yeah, Obviously, I mean, there's a market for it. It would be like Atlanta. You know, there's a market yeah. for kind of humorous takes of the black experience. I mean, obviously, Atlanta's in Georgia, but like, at, I think that they would, if it looked anything like Atlanta, I'd, I'd sign on. For sure. Well, I mean, it's also like we're living through the golden age of TV still. Like, just to bring it to like a more business standpoint, it's so much easier to imagine a TV show turning into, excuse me, it's so much easier to imagine a movie turning into a TV show now than it was previously because way back in the day it was unheard of to see a movie turned into a tv show and it was just usually the other way around almost always crap yeah and now you get your fargos and your hannibals and stuff like that well you get oh you're are we really saying that mash sucks guys are we really going to say that mash the tv show was a piece of shit yes the extremely transphobic okay well okay all right okay 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 you you've got me there there's probably I'm, some exception. I'm left on a mound of sand. Freddy's Nightmares, I'm sure, was a a, gla- a classic in the television, <laughs> a jewel in the television landscape. Oh my but, god, um, that, uh, that one's hilarious because it 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 somehow manages to have an entire TV show that uses the main character as the intro host, and nothing in any of those stories ever touches on any of the mythology in any of that nonsense I believe ever. Friday Friday the 13th the series I think was the same way it was an anthology yeah. that rarely if ever involved Jason yeah um, never did and it was a fun show but never had any context with Jason at all yeah I mean back Not in even the 80s it was Reagan capitalism right you gotta turn <laughs> everything either into a TV show if it's if you can preferably a kids show where you could sell some fucking toys get that well, real Ghostbusters money especially in the in the late to early, late 80s early 90s i mean cable television was brand new so i mean they just had to jam anything on those fucking channels you know look yeah. we, they're paying for 100 channels i gotta fill it with something you know um, yeah, i mean you gotta you gotta you know make a toy the kids want to go join the military with so start pushing that gi joe i mean it's there totally you go. normal for a child to go. immediately go pick up there a gun you go. and, and then they somebody. grow up and they're gonna watch rambo and the uh-huh. cycle continues and they'll make little rambos who will want their own gi joe kids and so mm-hmm. on and so forth um but no i i i i i really think that this show if they wanted to do it as a tv show I think I think it could fucking work. I, I, I if if, they, if it was these two doing it and they wrote it, like I I can see that going places where I could you know, that, I think that would be an enjoyable. Because again, I I like it. You know, I like a movie when I'm 
so enamored with the characters that like I can keep watching and I would like to see where else their life takes them. And the movie doesn't really, the movie doesn't really button up all that. It doesn't solve all the social and economic problems, not by no. far, nor, nor does it even fully develop their own evolutions. It gives you just attention. Then they just drive off into the sunset. And I thought it was great. You know, and I think again, I can do for another episode. I think it's uh, great. Yeah. And I think that it has the benefit we've discussed this over the course of this podcast of being able to, balance comedy and drama i mean you could have a full episode that's mostly just funny and then one that's much more dramatic immediately thereafter and with this tone it works yeah, yeah. i think uh i think racism in general and dealing with racism it's such an absurd concept um that people believe it even is a reason to judge someone on that um i think it lends itself to surrealism a lot because there's, mm. we you mentioned Atlanta. We mentioned like, uh, sorry to bother you. Uh, Atlanta had a number of episodes that were pretty surreal, um, or asides that were lyrical and playful. Like for mm. instance, the whole episode where the guy just wanted to get his hair cut and just mm-hmm. kept following the guy mm. around. Um, it's interesting to see a movie that is hopeful that is written about and deals directly with. Uh, continued human misery and the uh subjugation of an entire people that until the rise of the internet and some of the things to make it far more easy to recognize how badly people are being treated it was way easier for a lot of people to sweep it under the rug and ignore it um at this point i'm really hoping that people start listening and take it to heart and that hopefully we'll get the current political situation uh shook out i know we're not really a political podcast but it would be nice to see some real changes um so that uh, the situation with cops for instance being an omnipresent boogeyman in people's lives would stop being mm-hmm. the issue that they're having to deal with because you need to change that whole institution from the ground up in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And that's why it's, I think that that the 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 rage of his final soliloquy against the cop again i felt like dude this is now like yeah. I, I really really mm-hmm. fucking felt that like and that's it, it we live in a crazy time right now where again you know I, I think what the 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 powerful moment of that to the cop and i think that whether or not he recognizes that the movie doesn't say but is that you may not have meant to do this but you did mean to do it you know yeah. you did mean that's, to. i mean that's how it. it i mean uh I think he says something like it was an accident to Miles after Colin leaves and Miles says something like, was it? It's just this man who, even though he's personally wrecked by guilt, fails to comprehend the fact that he is part of a system that is fundamentally violent and oppressive. And yeah. whether he gains any insight on that or not is unclear, but like his guilt is he has chosen to be part of this monster. Like cops in the movie, for the most part, except for this guy, are presented as cop cars without faces in them because you don't need to see yeah. the faces. It's a monolith. It's a system that is Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like it's a, in, like it's a, inhuman. A, a beast yeah. in the in the streets cha- like stalking people. Yeah, there's yeah, something like I, there's a real reason why when you see riot police wearing helmets, it's terrifying. It's because those aren't humans anymore. Those are like automatons wearing masks. Yeah, they're stormtroopers. Yeah. They don't have any humanity to them. So it's like, you know, if you're being bludgeoned by someone, you would I think most people would like to assume that you'd be able to reach out to someone's humanity and say, please stop hitting me. But that isn't the case with these, uh, with the situation. Yeah. And that's why, again, I think that nowadays it's because cameras, I mean, this is something that wasn't even that prevalent when we were doing the podcast 10 years ago, but I mean, cameras are everywhere. Everybody's got a camera in their pocket. You know, it's getting a lot harder for a lot of this shit to just be swept under the rug. The original run of this podcast was recorded prior to Trayvon Martin. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, right now, like I've also just with the uh, protests happening, um, as you were talking about with cameras, I have uh, found that ACLU actually has like a app where you can record cops live and just anonymously upload it to prove events of violence or other things like that, which just didn't exist before. And it was kind of unheard of to think that you would have to record a cop doing his job. But now it's like a standard thing. Like you walk up Mm -hmm. and if you see someone pulling someone aside, if I see a cop talking to a homeless person, I get my phone. You whip out your camera immediately. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I, and I, they, there, there's a moment in the movie where I really kind of liked, and again, it, it, living in the parlance of our times, but when they're watching the news report of the guy who got killed by the cop, and oh, yeah, they bring the up script. the fact that he was he had like an assault felony, he's at ex-con, you know, and and Miles even says, "No protest for you," and 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 again, you, this constant notion that, well, just. If you if he hadn't run, he wouldn't gotten shot. Well, yeah. when when is that gonna happen in a fucking first world? You know, like you can't run after him and tackle him. You know, you got to pull out your gun and fucking gun him down. Come on. Yeah, that's also um, very upsetting too because you realize that Miles, like they don't get into this in the movie, but because Colin is a former con, he can't vote, and a great deal of issues that we kind of ignore are things you would have to deal with on a day-to-day level. The first thing I thought of, and, and I thought about when Zach pitched the theme of shitty cops, um, the, the first thing, and maybe, again, it's just recency bias, but um, is uh, when they see us. I, I, I We couldn't do it for the podcast because it's a TV show, but that was, a, that was a show where I was really like, I, I will probably never watch it again because it's very, very tough to watch. Very, very good. It was robbed at the Emmys, um, but... I think they should teach that shit in schools. I mean, like, just because there is this, what the, them being falsely accused and going to prison for something they didn't do was only the beginning of their fucking nightmares. You know, going back into society was a whole other nightmare into itself. And how easy is it to just fall back into it because it's easy money and you need money, you know, you can't do it. So, I mean, it's, I think that, and again, this movie does a great job of sort of hinting at that, talking about it, but not really making it the forward thrust of the, of the whole movie. The plot's barely the thrust of the movie. Him getting out of probation is barely consequential in this movie. Um, it, the only thing it's used for is to understand Colin's point of view. Gotta stay straight, gotta fly right, cannot do anything wrong, can't step out of line, that's that device. It's not necessarily a plot device. I think the plot of the movie is again really Miles and relationship, Miles and Colin's relationship. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's also probably the idea with the convict thing probably communicates the issue that he feels as a black man in general to a way that people that aren't from that experience might be able to understand it. Because the uh, when he goes into the halfway house, he gets pulled aside, and then the guy who runs a halfway house has a conversation with him about, you know, you are a convicted felon. The only way you can uh, make us believe you are not is by continuing to always not be a convicted felon and always act in the right way. Yeah. Which can't even run a stoplight. I mean, (laughs) can't even run a stoplight. You know, they get into that when, you know, uh, Colin gets seen by the police. Like he's having to act extremely careful and polite around any sort of authority figure because it's real danger um now we understand it because you know if he gets caught he's a convicted felon he'll go back to jail so that's like the general thrust but it has a very deeper thrust to that that you know he's dealing with being an african-american engaging with the police very true very true the scene there the scene where he is caught on the street uh he has rusted the gun away from miles because miles is beat the fuck out of somebody and shot it into the air at the, uh, the gentrifiers party at the yuppie Um, party. So he rests that a confrontation. He steals the gun away and a cop comes up on him while he has the gun in his pocket and shines his light at him for an inordinate amount of time. And it's not even necessarily whether it's about him going back to jail. The threat there feels like, will he be killed in this scene? Much it's, it's yeah. Both for entirely different reasons. Um, but I think maybe we should uh, give our last thoughts on this guy. Yeah, yeah. Why don't I'll why don't uh, I'll go first, and then Zach, and then Bor, if you can close us out, and then let us know what we're watching for next episode. Sure. Okay. Um, so final thoughts on this movie. I thought uh, very well, uh, more than well done for everybody's basically first foray into feature length movies. Part of the reason why I like doing this podcast, I get to learn new things, and it took them ten years to do it, and it shows. Um, it, it it shows that. Not just in the 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 narrative craft of it, but in their own performances, they're very close to these characters. They they know these people, so and it, and it comes through in their performances. Um, very well done. It's very rare for a movie where I'd be like, yeah, I can see it as a TV show. So yeah, fucking good movie. 
Yeah, I think this movie was uh, extremely adept at tackling some very major issues, uh, things that are extremely relevant today in a very subtle way, in a small scale way. Uh, I think that their love for their hometown of Oakland, like it's nice to see movies that are love letters to a place in a way. For sure. Definitely, definitely one of those films. I think if you have missed this movie right now, is the perfect time if you have access to an HBO account to go check it out. It's 95 minutes. It's, you know, they are, it's, that's the other thing. This storytelling is tight. Like they don't waste time. Fuck yeah. So I, I, I got to recommend this one. It's, it's for a blind pick. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. We were blind spotted into it. Yeah. I definitely am going to recommend that people see this one as well. Um, I will give one of my three points for today to Zach for having suggested this one. Um, I, I think that it is wonderful to see, as you said, a love letter to an area that is steep in the history and the vibe of the area. I think that you can tell that these characters are people that they based off people they knew, uh, they feel very lived in. You can tell that there's a lot of history between these two actors, um, and, a a rapport, um, that I think we, we mentioned briefly in the lighthouse, actually, how hard that is to find sometimes, but you could tell there was an immediate, and a very deep comfort between these two men um, that, you know, is really great if you can find two actors that have that sort of camaraderie. Um, it's again, extremely serious subject matter, extremely serious topic. It is a fun film, which is punctuated by moments of fear and extreme terror, which is very strange to think that it would do both. Um... So, uh, since we are on the topic of police brutality and bad cops as a general concept, my suggestion for next week is the Stanford Prison Experiment. Ooh. It is on Netflix right now, so people can go see it before the end of the month. When this episode comes out, though, I think it might have left Netflix, so good luck. You can find it somewhere. Um, it is Disney Plus, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Disney Plus, the first place you go. Uh, yeah, and uh, I won't pitch it up too much. It's just a film that was based off the Zimbardo experiment from the 70s, and it is written by Tim Talbot, and it is a good film, and I guess we will all find out about what that is going to be like soon. I'm and, excited. Uh, as a quick summation, it sounds like I believe Russell gave Chris an extra point at one point during the show. I did. He did plot. He plot revealed through character. I wrote it and down. Chris I said I was going to give my one, point to that. So that's where we're standing on our point distribution for the time being. Uh, with that said, this has been the Movie Trap, and I've been Zach Powers. I've been Russell Carlson, and I've been Chris Boroff until next week when I'll still be Chris Boroff. We get it, bruh! Your car has an alarm! Congratulations, it's fancy! <sighs> Bitch!